or multiple hush-hush locations in Minneapolis when you're not. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice games does talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are NDAs and replay value. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Hello! <laughs> Hi, Steven. <laughs> uh, how, how, how's, how's everyone doing? I you know, know, one of these days we're going to learn how to start one of these things. <laughs> yeah, you'd think we'd have picked it up by now, you know, doing this three and a half years or however long we're doing it. But <laughs> could we, I wanna... like, <laughs> yeah. could we get Martha to record, like, a stand-in intro? <laughs> you know what? We already have an intro that's formatted. <laughs> Martha so... can't save us uh, every time. No. No. <laughs> no. Um, I'd like to welcome Sarah Huskin back on, on the podcast. Um, she's a special Whoa. guest for the for the episode. Yeah. yeah, we just recorded a nice games workshop, we want to call it, maybe. It's a special nice games jam we did. That's yeah, that's a right way to yeah, describe we, it. Yeah, we did through mm-hmm. um uh Sarah's uh, solo play tabletop RPG. It was a blast. We had a super good time. Mm-hmm. It's a double yeah. it's a double length episode, and that should be coming to you next week. We're gonna flop the order of these. Um, so why don't we uh, introduce Sarah, because this will be the first time people have heard you on the show. Tell us a little bit about what your deal is anyway. Oh, my deal. Um, <laughs> what is your deal? <laughs> yeah, well, yes, I, I am Sarah Houston. And um, yeah, I'm a story artist and a director of cartoons here in the Twin Cities. And uh, yeah, I do that. how long have you been doing it uh i've been doing that for and time is kind of meaningless now ever since uh quarantine happened (laughs) but i think i've been doing that for four years since 2016 and um yeah i will continue to be doing that um i am working on some stuff right now that is uh very hush hush Uh as uh are you under NDA? I one could oh. say that I am under an NDA. What a coincidence. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, kind of perfect mm-hmm. that I'm here. So Sarah and I worked on the same animation project, but at different ends of it. So we never met on that. And um, uh, I only mention it because, Sarah, you won an Emmy for it. I did win an Emmy, yes. Woo! Which Woo! you don't like to lead yeah. with, but is kind of a, de- kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, the Emmy thing is really cool in that, um, you know, it's definitely one of those showstopper, like, oh, yeah, I I won an Emmy, one of those wonderful backdoor brag (laughs) things. But it's also one of those items where, you know, bringing it back to my apartment, I don't really have a place for it. It's currently just sort of hanging out with my cookbooks, and there's a dead plant next (laughs) to it. I've heard that same story it's, from uh, famous people, and I'm like, come on, famous person, you've got three hearts. But with with you, it actually sounds like a charming story. <laughs> yeah, well, it's gotten to the point where, you know, I really should maybe get a shelf to put it on. But, you know, I think this is the, the best possible way to have this kind of item in <laughs> Sarah Huskin's mm-hmm. space. <laughs> you know? It's just, it's so ridiculously huge. It also, you know, it, it makes a difference how much that plant meant to you, too, I think. 
Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they do belong together. Yeah. It was a very precious plant. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just kept on watering the Evie. <laughs> <laughs> Hoping that it'll propagate and I'll get another Evie. <laughs> That's how they happen, you know? Like, you see these people, like, how did you get so many Grammys? And it's because they just watered them and maintained them. Let them grow. Play classical music to them. Good quality soil. Mm-hmm. Miracle, yeah. miracle oh, grow. Yeah. Yeah. Really good compost. Uh, yes. Coffee grounds. Spent coffee grounds. <laughs> yes. And, you know, that's very impressive. But my favorite of your accomplishments is the key art you did for Widget Satchel. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. illustrated Sprocket <laughs> for us in that amazing pose that is in all the key art. And it's just like the first thing people see when they see Widget Satchel. And I think it's the only reason people take a second look because there's a lot in that game that's great. But like that mm. first impression matters. And you really delivered this amazing, like rich uh, illustration of that, that cute little character. Oh, that Sprocket is on a T-shirt that I have. Yeah, we put it on a T-shirt. What? T-shirts, there's merch. We should print more of those T-shirts. Oh, yeah, I made stickers. We, did you get a sticker? I never got a sticker. Oh, I need, I need to get brother. in on some of this merch. Yeah, right, for real. <laughs> I don't know if it's merch. I think we printed them out for the team, right? <laughs> but Merch. merch, merch, merch. <laughs> oh, we've been chanting that for years. Like, as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I sketched the first sprocket for the game jam, we were like, put that on a mug, on a mouse pad. We wanted to make a plushie. Like, we we had designs on it, but yeah. uh, no money to do it. So that's the big barrier. <laughs> but, Steven, you did put some money to make those stickers. I did. I that's should, true. We're, oh, I got to get you a sticker. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, my favorite merch thing is always mugs. Mugs, mugs, mugs. Because, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, stickers. I love stickers. I love shirts. But, you know... I need to drink coffee out of my favorite things. Mm-hmm. You sound like you might have the same problem that I run into about every couple of years, which is you have too many mugs. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I do that. have too many mugs. Mm-hmm. I, and I can't imagine why. <laughs> you need all that shelf space for your Emmys. So there's- yeah, <laughs> right. well, instead of Emmys, they should just give out mugs. Yeah. <laughs> Something you I would actually like, use. Yeah. Custom yeah. ceramic mugs. So instead of like her like holding up an atom or whatever, she could just be holding up a vessel and then you just drink the coffee out of the <laughs> vessel. <laughs> That's good. I love this. We could just uh, chill with Sarah all day, but we got a lot to talk about. Um, we have some meta before we get into the topics. First thing, that itch bundle that is, uh, all, it's, it's uh, run by the time you hear this episode, but from where we're sitting, it's cracked $6 million uh, yes. money raised for the social justice bundle. It's really exciting. It is, yeah. I think that when we talked about it in the previous episode, it was like, uh, it was up to two or three or something. And it's like, I'm watching the analytics on it. Just like, it's like a million dollars a day is, is mm-hmm. what it, it's, it's the, the rate it's going at. And so wow. I don't, I, there's still a couple days left. I have no idea what it's going to end with. The listener will, uh, appreciate this number versus the final number, which you'll no doubt know. Um, but uh, it's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And that leads us into a little bit of just a, a quick check-in on, you know, talking about what's been going on the past couple of weeks. Um, we yeah. talked about uh, the murder of George Floyd and all the protests for Black Lives Matter that have been happening. And uh, it's uh, the episode that just came out was where we talked a lot about it. And I expressed some concern that like, I-, I was worried that that would be about the time when that episode came out that maybe people would start to stop talking about it. But since that recording, um, a lot has happened. And we don't need to get yeah. into all of it, but it's, it is heartening. 
um, it's still concerning. But I wanted to just open up the top of the show if just to, for any additional thoughts um, before we sort of like get back to the regular stuff we do, which is a weird feeling, right? Yeah, it 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 is weird. It's weird, like working and like thinking about all. There's just so many things happening at one moment. I guess that was a weird outburst. I'm sorry, but <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things happening that it's hard to keep track of anything. Um, but there are still protests happening. You know, people are still outside marching on the streets. So even though I don't, I don't think the like it. it I haven't seen as much coverage on it as I did like a couple of weeks ago, it's still happening and it's still happening regularly. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't have much to say other than it's, it's still something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard mm-hmm. to say something you want to keep talking about it, but you, you don't have anything new to say all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you just keep saying like arrest those cops, <laughs> which, yeah. you know, um, which they right. haven't done all of, you know, arrested all of them yet. Right. Um, they have not. No. There, there have been additional police killings uh, as recently as yesterday from where we're sitting. And mm-hmm. um, yeah. so there's always more things to talk about, but like the main themes don't shift that much because they're timeless in a way. Yeah, um, exactly. It's rough. And everyone's kind yeah. of deciding like, when do we stop talking about it? And is that an abdication of our responsibility? I, I feel mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I, I, I guess I feel that too. Just like I don't, I, I want to keep putting in effort towards the cause, but like, there's also a lot, you know. Like I said, there's a lot going on, but I, I you know, I think it's important, and so I want to. I have to keep telling myself that it's important. I have to keep telling myself that. Like, mm-hmm. Keep keep strong. Yeah, and it can be kind of overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Um, the nice thing that's helped me because you know this isn't our first bout of lots of stuff happening in the news cycle and the world. And it can be kind of frustrating where it's, well, there are all these systems at play and all these injustices happening. What can I as an individual do? And it is very helpful for me to look at what just my neighbors are doing. Um, And I've never seen this level of neighborhood mobilization really in my adult life. Um, and how much outreach they've been putting in toward their, you know, neighbors of color and marginalized folks. And it's, uh, it's wonderful. And I'm hopeful, cautiously hopeful, Yeah, but, um, hopeful nonetheless. That's good. Yeah. Something other than, and on top of the anger, right. Mm -hmm. Which, which maybe that's the newest thing Mm -hmm. that makes this different. Yeah. To, to maybe put a positive spin on it. I do think, um, Maybe maybe this is a little bit of the blue car effect where, you know, I'm looking for it, therefore I see it more. But I think more than I have seen with past incidents of this, it's the conversations aren't about the one incident. Mm -hmm. The conversations, I'm just going to be blunt, like the white people that I work with and speak to, like my family, are it's it's clear they're taking steps to educate themselves on the systemic issues, not just reacting and giving opinions on a specific news event if that makes sense. Yeah. And that is encouraging. Keep Absolutely. it going. Yeah. Yes. Keep yeah. It going. yeah. Don't stop. Like, yeah. You know, don't, you know, get up, stand up or, you know, do what you can. Just keep at it. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Yeah. That's my dead talk. Encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Go get them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, 
in other news, I suppose the PS5 console look the way it looks now is revealed. Yeah, Sony pulled a big prank on everybody. They were like, hey, look at this. Can you believe this is the PS5? I laughed so hard. Like, (laughs) they really, they really got me. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we should put, we should post the link. Have y'all, y'all seen the PS5, right? I've seen memes made of it. Um, I'm Googling (laughs) it right now. It, it, to me, as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, that's a router. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, but it's a console. You play games on it. Uh, To me, I don't know. It looks like um, kind of like a Dracula um, with the big pop collar. Like, yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. Um, It looks a little less ridiculous on its side, but they're not showing a lot of those things. It is vaguely rectangular. It's just like swoopy and organic in a way that I feel like doesn't do the job they want it to do, which is to kind of look like uh, elegant and other otherworldly. It just does look like a plastic mold for any cheap device because it doesn't mm. that kind of that those kinds of lines on a product are not futuristic anymore yeah you know well yeah it, that's the thing it's like i described the ps5 controller before as like what people in 2000s thought the future would look like you mm-hmm. did that's very precious and the, this, and the ps5 to me feels like somebody in 2020 designing something for that person <laughs> <laughs> instead of it like actually being yeah it's so, like, I'm conflicted because I like the controller. Sarah, are you looking at the, <laughs> the console? Yeah, it looks like a contemporary building. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. It looks like you just slap a door on the side of it. Uh-huh. And you've got, like, a, an art museum. Yeah. <laughs> I just loved your faces you were, <laughs> you were looking at. <laughs> it's just like, I understand why they're going with white. Uh-huh. But, like, I'm just, like, thinking... Man, like that thing is going to be straight up not white in five years. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Like, there's probably a bunch oh. of material scientists being like, "Oh, we got to figure out how to way to make this not look like a three year old Super Nintendo." Um, <laughs> but like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, also that two tone is like uh, that bright white. I mean, I would have been okay if they made it honestly beige. I would have preferred like mm. that. Yeah. That, oh. that bright bright white has a kind of a weird cheapness to it. In my, it's it's just all aesthetic opinion. I mean, people can yeah. some people love it and think it looks really classy. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just like we said about the controller, like I don't I don't know. It was just gray. Give it give it to me in gray. Mm-hmm. I don't it know. feels it, the white and the black and the blue feels generic. It feels like something that came out of Westworld to me. Like yeah, it it's it just I don't know. Yeah. It looks like Wally's girlfriend or what was yeah. the, the white Ava Ava from- yeah. Yeah, like it. They turned her into a console. Yeah, that actually made me like it a little bit more because I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's a good. Sorry, movie. Wally's girlfriend is not. Um, I I feel like I lost. I definitely lost some like feminist points there. But um, uh, well, I'm conflicted on it because like I really like the controller a lot. Yeah, but the console is not. I don't well, like it. Put put so. it in a cabinet and close the door. I guess. I, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's an option. How big is it? It's actually oh, uh, that people have been guessing uh, based on the size of the disc drive. They've been comparing it. They have not released specs. Mm. But um, yeah. if you remember the PS3 and how that was the biggest thing you've ever seen in your life, it's mm-hmm. it's big not quite. Up. If you lay it on its side, it's not quite as tall. So it's not quite as, as thick as that. But it is uh, longer, wider. It's it is a little bit bigger. Uh-huh. So. Oh. I, I don't know if it will fit in a in a in a in an entertainment center in the same way, 
Um, but you know, it's uh, both of the both the new Xbox and new PlayStation are really really focusing on cooling, um, yeah. and uh, because they have they have uh, there's just more chips in them. There's more RAM they and and more heat generating solid state storage, uh, and thermal issues have been a problem with with existing consoles. Sure, um, yeah. and so uh, fan noise and all of that, and so both of them are just bigger in a way that okay. I think people haven't quite appreciated. Um, and I mean, appreciated in that they haven't appreciated the value of making them bigger because mm. it seems like that should be the opposite of what's happening. Um, yeah. but I think that's, I think both come from a concern of like getting the hot air out. Um, gotcha. so I don't know. It's just, um, I'll just put it behind a big fern, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then they didn't just yeah. show us uh, the monstrosity. They showed us a bunch of amazing games. Um, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, I took notes and I have a list and we should not go through all of them. But <laughs> one, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, not a full yeah. sequel, but like an interquel uh, AAA experience uh, starring Miles Morales, who was a, mm-hmm. um, a, 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 a breakout sort of sidekick character in uh, Sony's uh, Marvel Spider-Man, this Sony game. Yeah. But not and you did. I don't know if you played as him in any of the missions. I think you do for a little bit. Okay. But not as like Spider-Man. He wasn't, he didn't yeah, have powers. At that's that. right. He was like developing them and then like the teaser is him like getting them or something. But, yeah. um, so I was really expecting that to be an, a little more in the, in the sequel, but we're actually mm-hmm. getting full on Miles Morales as Spider-Man, which is very cool. Yeah. Um, that's exciting. Uh, Ratchet and Clank, a new Ratchet and Clank. So I'm sold. And yeah. when I saw that trailer, I really, I'm like, oh man, Ratchet, uh, Sprocket is just Ratchet. Like I had no idea. <laughs> Like I completely like. Oh, <laughs> is a cute animal I, carrying yeah, a wrench. With a wrench <laughs> with robot friends. Um, mischief. I swear it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> but I, I, but I love that series, that. and I'm really looking That's, forward to that. And it's uh, like Insomniac, just with those two titles, is like mm-hmm. we are we are we represent Sony now because yeah. those are the, those are the, in my mind those are the biggest things. There's a bunch of stuff on there as well. There's a another robot game uh, with, uh, that stars a cat. With a backpack. Oh, yeah. Also a little widgets, actually. Hmm. <laughs> I kept nope. just thinking, like, wow, everyone has the same ideas, including me. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But it's good. There's going to be, like, a little Big Planet spinoff, uh, Hitman mm-hmm. 3, um, yeah. a bunch of indies. Uh, the, the folks behind uh, Octodad are doing a game called Bug Snacks, which oh, yeah. is as ridiculous as it sounds. Um, and a catchy song. Death Loop, which we talked about when it was revealed at E3 yeah. a year or so ago, that's coming out this holiday. Um, oh, that's by the Dishonored okay. folks, and that looks s- stylish AF. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not super big into shooters, but the mechanics look really enticing. So I think I'm going to give that one a go. Mm-hmm. Um, a sequel to Horizon is coming. Yeah, um, that's right. That's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not getting too much into all of these, but just tons of really cool stuff. A lot of stuff. Yeah, and everyone was like, you know, Sony's hiding from the gaming press. They have no games. And the truth is, is they kept all these things secret for this big reveal, mm-hmm. um, which is my Martha Grade transition uh, to our first topic. Unless oh. anybody has any PS5 thoughts before we get into it. No, it's all yours. All right. Uh, I'm going to talk about NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. So... For those of you who are uh, um, working in games professionally uh, or working in many other fields professionally, uh, you will be familiar with these, um, having signed them and having read them over and been like, why do I need to keep this a secret? Um, (laughs) And for everyone else, you've probably heard of these. Um, So basically, it's just a contract that says you're not going to talk about something. Um, It's weird because it's a private legal agreement that governs speech. 
And so there has not been a lot of this sort of thing tested in court. Um, and so what is, oh, really? what is a fair NDA versus what is not legal to put in an NDA is kind of something nobody knows. There, you know, hmm. um, for the most part, I mean, I, you know, I believe that people who write these NDAs, they do try to, you know, make it as protective of, as possible, but they're also not looking to do anything illegal, but they don't know where the boundaries are, right? Um, and so what ends up happening is that because it's not super clear what can and can't be put in this, NDAs, in my mind, are, they do way more harm than good because they, they're all built on trust, right? If I tell you a secret and say, don't tell anybody, that's, uh, there's a trust contract between us. An NDA is just literally that, but it has the illusion of, of legal, uh, you know, force of law. Um, despite the fact that like, it's mostly the same thing. And so what ends up happening is it silences people. It makes them keep secrets. That's not in the NDA because they don't know, because not only are the borders of what's allowed to put in there is like, what's put in there is vague enough that you have no idea if what you know is allowable to say. So I've talked about this on the show before, but my ideology on this is that they are like a, a, a stain on the creative, uh, creative arts industries. Um, they, they damage relationships. They make people, they damage the ability for people to learn new things. Um, they mm -hmm. keep secrets that aren't worth keeping, uh, the, the, violating an NDA in most cases does not do the kind of harm that it's feared to. It creates a culture in gaming, especially that, um, causes a lot of damage at, from uh, companies, developers, and especially gamers who are, when that information that's not secret is kept from them. And then they, they put value on the secret and it's just this. It's just all terrible. And so that's, I have a very strong opinion about that. So I'll maybe try to explain a little bit more and we can talk about maybe our own experiences, our own feelings on these things. Um, but the first thing is, is consequences in gaming for developers. Uh, one of the things that happened on Twitter after the PS5 reveal is a bunch of indie developers were like, I finally get to talk about the thing I've been working on for two years. And like, mm -hmm. that is ridiculous. Like compare this to the film mm -hmm. industry where there are trade publications talk about set visits and movies are announced years before and the scripts are are basically available on the internet um you know like on the blacklist or in other places where scripts float around before they're bought like it's not kept a secret like in the same way there are still like mm -hmm. reveals and and teasers and and pr mechanisms but there isn't this sort of militant desire for secrecy that there is in the gaming industry and mm -hmm. I, I think that just formed naturally. It just, it, that's how people did it. And it just kept getting done that way. Um, but when you think about the value mm -hmm. of it, compare it to other creative industries and how they, they deal with it on a much lower level. So for developers are all like, oh, I'm an indie developer. I've been wanting to talk about this thing and we're going to have for two years. Like that takes them out of the co conversation. It takes them out of the community. It makes them, mm -hmm. it, people are like, what are you working on? They're like, oh, I can't say. And then suddenly it's like, all right, well, then what are we going to talk about? Like, right. and to what benefit is, is my question. Like, why does it necessarily matter? And it's kind of funny because some of the games announced at the, the PS5 um, reveal, uh, some of them are uh, indies that have had like devlogs on Twitter. And mm. um, Stray, the one with the, the cat with the backpack, that's one that had a lot of, of stuff posted online before it was picked up by a publisher. And um, I, don't, I can't speak to what happened in the intervening time, but um, a lot of people on Twitter, uh, uh, gamers, were like, wait a minute, is this that thing I already know about? Why? I'm confused. Why is that the case? Like, because we just expect a, a reveal to be new information to the world. And it, mm -hmm. so it changes the culture. And so that's how it changes things for gamers is they, they just expect these reveal. And if they know anything about it, then they kind of like, it's sort of spent, like their, their interest on it is spent, which is sort of like an idea of like a PR kind of notion that is just taken to extremes. 
Um, and it means that gamers don't know who makes games. They don't know how games are made. They think they just come, you know, they, they, they burst forth from the, the doors of Square Enix or Microsoft Game Studios or wherever. And they know people mm-hmm. work on it. And they may even have heard the per- people's names, but they don't humanize them in the same way because those people are just not allowed to talk about it. They're not allowed to be public figures the way that mm-hmm. actors and film directors are. Right. And so uh, I've, I've just gone on a, a soapbox for quite a while. So I want to hear what you guys think about just that main idea, like what, what NDAs have done to the industry and why it got that way. Sure. Uh, I mean, I guess from my own perspective, uh, NDA scare me <laughs> because I am an, an uh, sort of, I mean, I guess indie developer is the correct term. Mm-hmm. I am an indie developer. So like, um, I don't have an understanding on how like our NDAs work with whoever we're working with because like, I'm not, the person making those deals i'm just um a lackey in that way um and so i i i guess i also don't fully under i i, I get I, I get that like people like having reveals and revealing them at certain times and that and i think companies like having that agency mm-hmm. i imagine that's why they want that's why they want these ndas but i don't understand uh, i guess i don't understand why they're like it's built this way in that way I don't know. I don't have an under, I don't have a full understanding of how these NDAs work, and so I don't. That's why I haven't asked questions, and I can't like rebel against the NDA because <laughs> then I will get fired. So, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even if I even if I don't like break an NDA, if my boss is like, "Don't do that," then like you know, it's, it's reprimand. Right, reprimand. right. So, I mean, if your boss asks you to keep a secret for the company, I don't see that as the same thing. Like, I'm like, I'm fine yeah. with that. Like. If there's mm-hmm. a level of trust or it's like they, I don't think it should be a secret, but they do. So yeah. I will extend that courtesy to them, but right. But that requires them to trust me. But the fact that it's all been formalized in this way, even though it isn't actually formal in, in, mm-hmm. exactly is, is, mm-hmm. is frustrating. And you know, there are, there are times when you would want to use an NDA uh, for trade secrets, for example, like those are legitimate yeah. secrets you'd want to keep and you'd want to have a contractual because there would be, there would be like harm caused by the revelation. Like that's a real thing. I don't want to discount that entirely, mm-hmm. but that's generally not what we're talking about when we talk about this sort of thing. Um, but, um, you know, uh, so of us, who has been under an NDA of this, uh, of a type that sort of not reveal details? I'm getting a hand from uh, Ellen <laughs> and from Sarah. We all have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We all have. I assume we all have at some point for yeah. some reason. And you don't want to talk about it, do you? Right. <laughs> right. You don't even want to talk about the fact that you signed one, which itself is not a secret, but you just don't want to. Right. I don't want to either. Like, it's, I don't know. You, you don't want to. Where's the line? Like, I could have to talk about it more broadly. I mm-hmm. mean, like, I've only ever been under NDA work for or NDAs for the work that I do in uh, learning experience design. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it makes sense because we're actually dealing with clients secrets. Right. And yeah. we're dealing with tr- creating training around their material. And so if we were to share it, like that actually is there, you know, people are the greatest competitive advantage right now in the 21st century. Like mm-hmm. if you can train your people faster to do the job better then you have a big edge over your competitors. So yeah, sharing yeah. anything about like a company's internal processes or, or an organization, I mean, if, if it's work we're doing for a corporation, then it makes sense to keep that quiet from a competitive perspective. Mm-hmm. We've also done a lot of work for nonprofits though. And then it's like, course please talk about this yeah please <laughs> right Free promotion for us 
please get people excited by sharing it if you can. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You start like methods and materials. Like th- those, those are secrets worth keeping for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do think that I think that there can be danger in showing. Hmm, I'm a huge advocate for showing work in progress to get to get customer feedback mm-hmm. and feedback in general. And I yeah. think good ideas can come from anyone who's a part of the community around a particular work. Mm-hmm. And if you show things in progress without thinking about the context in which it's going to be shared and being prepared to answer questions about what it means and, and being prepared to set up what like frame the thing that you're showing, um, then it can do, it can cause a lot of negative buzz um, and negative reactions and weird questions and create a lot of noise. It makes it harder to actually do the work. And that might be one of the things that NDAs are intended to guard against. Yeah. And that's a, uh, that's a, uh, an honest motivation, right? Mm-hmm. Like you described like why you might want to keep a secret that isn't a state secret, right? There are right. plenty of good reasons. Um, mm-hmm. I think what happens is with an NDA, you then blanket all information that comes to you of any manner that's not public or whatever. It's, there's a boilerplate phrasing for this. I think that's where it kind of breaks down is if you I feel like it's a burden on you if you want to keep a secret, it's a burden on you to explain what, you know, the the boundaries of that are uh, not the burden of the person you're telling the secret Mm -hmm. necessarily. And and Mm -hmm. an NDA framework puts gives a legal uh, excuse for to put the burden on the person who's been given the secret and Mm -hmm. because they they don't necessarily know what the full, you know, uh, what they can say or what they can't say. But uh, Sarah, you've you've signed NDAs for uh, film projects, animation. Um, is it uh, a lot? Is it a lot different? Hey, folks, Ellen here. Just jumping in. We're going to get back to the show in a second, but I want to give you a heads up that we're going to get some clicking and some tapping from Sarah's mic throughout some of the rest of the show. It's an issue that we didn't discover until we were listening to the recording. So our apologies. Sorry about that. And now back to the show. Um, is it, uh, a lot, is it a lot different? I would say, I don't know. Um, and I'm kind of kicking myself because there was, um, a bit of conversation in the animation world about NDA specifically. And I just opted not to engage because I'm just like, eh, whatever. But personally for me with the NDAs is, so I've, I've signed NDAs for, animated shows. I've signed them for some video games that I didn't work on, but I was present in the studio that was working Mm -hmm. on them. With some of these games, they were movie based on movies. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of the things they were sending were um, like continuity photos for modeling and character designs. And um, additionally, I've signed NDAs for looking at just looking at materials. Mm. So on projects that I'm not involved in, um, but well, actually regarding NDAs for those materials, they weren't, I didn't really sign anything. They were just sort of verbal agreements, I guess. So um, for all of the projects that I actively worked on, I did sign the binding document or whatever, but for access to say show Bibles or even the project I'm working on now, which I fibbed a little, um, 
I'm not under NDA. Mm. I should be. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's kind of um, interesting how there's sort of a verbal component. Yeah, yeah. And my whole thing with NDAs is, yeah, I can understand like wanting to protect certain trade secrets or aspects of production um, so they're not um, copied or replicated mm. or whatever. I think that there really is something to be said about giving your crew kind of a shared stake in the success of what you're working on. Yeah. Mm. Um, so what I'm working on now, like, yeah, I'm not really under NDA, but I am very careful about talking about it because I want the project to do well. And mm -hmm. I have a stake in the project's success. And, you know, when we, and this is just sort of a larger conversation about um, how you treat your crew and, you know, what the little people quote unquote are getting out of a project. Um, I feel like, you know, when you, allow the crew to share in the success of a project or you really trust them or you really like tell them like, Hey, this is really important for X, Y, and Z. I think there is more willingness to be careful about those details. Um, but at the same time, like, I think it is really great when artists can share process yeah, yeah. and also workplace treatment or what is or isn't working in production. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm very neutral on NDAs mm -hmm. because quite frankly, like I won't say that I violated NDAs, <laughs> but I've for something that isn't as severe as say a contract mm -hmm. and breach of contract like my current contract, like there's a whole section of it where it's like, okay, you do not do this, this, and this because there will be consequences. That's dire. Mm -hmm. That's, in, you know, mm -hmm. that's a little more serious. And yeah, those contracts can be kind of vague too. So mm -hmm. you kind of clue in on, you know, okay, well, I need to protect this information. But um, I think there is something to be gained from sharing information. Yeah, yeah, you you've really hit yeah. the whole universe of it, right? Like there's the yeah. there's the NDA in spirit, which is to say like I'm not under NDA, but like we all agree to keep this hush hush. And that's that trust framework, yeah. right? And I think it's like like I I'm really on my soapbox about it, but it's really about those those technical elements, about the the culture around it. But I 100% agree with you. Like if you, you know, there are reasons you don't want to reveal what you're working on because you have a stake in in the reveal. Yeah, like when something like branding too, like if like my current thing is um, I kind of understand that there hasn't really been a press release about this thing. And I understand that when something is revealed or presented, um, the corporate entity um, wants to present it in a certain way mm -hmm. and I don't want that responsibility of dictating how something is rolled out right you know what I mean yeah yeah um, so there is um, some comfort in knowing that there is a well-oiled marketing team or marketing machine behind um, you know the initial thoughts and rollout of a product which I think is to the benefit of the project. Cause you see, especially in animation, you, 
there's a whole world of online like prejudgments based on teasers mm -hmm. and art and interviews mm -hmm. and you know people think they know what they're getting into when production hasn't even wrapped yeah and um that can be really harmful because then instead of experiencing something new and interesting they already have you know they've already sort of made their own decisions about something mm -hmm. Or maybe they got the information wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I. It, it's a complicated issue. Sometimes you want your draft out there for people to see, and sometimes you don't, right? Yeah. And so, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it, it comes down to like that trust framework. And one of the things you mentioned, Sarah, was this like, oh, you, you didn't uh, break an NDA, but like maybe you told a friend or maybe someone who helped you on it or whatever, or you didn't sign an NDA but the person you're working for signed an NDA with the client. What's that all about? And that's an example that yeah. I think um, is really common in video games where if you go to work for a AAA studio, you will very freely sign an NDA as part of your employment contract. Um, but if you're a contractor, if you're just coming in, sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll just be told, and uh, especially when it comes to things like um, console development kits or uh, things like Steam sales or other things that are technically under NDA, but um, people have the information that didn't sign the NDA. Um, uh, Nintendo is an example I can use where I signed an NDA for a lot of Nintendo stuff, including like how their SDK works, like the actual specific API calls, information that is not interesting and is not trade secrets. It's not no every uh, thousands of people know it like it's not. <laughs> but I, I'm under that NDA. But I am in my capacity as a, a licensed Nintendo developer able to give that information to anyone. And and then if they uh, send it out, I am responsible. Right. Ah. Which feels not fair. <laughs> because no. not only am I burdened with the secret, and uh, but now in order to work with a team, I need to either uh, accept, uh, make sure that I trust them enough so that if they have a grudge against Nintendo, like they, tr they value me more than that. Like it's so, the mm -hmm. social dynamics are so complicated. Or I need to make them sign an NDA for me. And right. that, that I think is cruel. But so what always just happens is you just say like, oh, hey, this is under NDA. Don't tell anybody. And the other person's like, OK, like that's that's just how it works in practice, because people are who yeah. people are generally kind of nice to each other. Like uh, and also we're all afraid of of Nintendo. So um, there's, maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's part of the reason why it works. But but yeah, it is. It kind of puts the lie to like how how real it is. When in practice, it doesn't really work that way. Um, mm -hmm. The other example is, and I've talked about on the show before, uh, Playdate, that cute little yellow console with the crank uh, that I'm part of the developer preview for. I didn't sign an NDA for that, but they asked everybody, hey, can you um, go ahead and show what you're working on? But, but if you could please not show the API because it's not finished and we want it to be a surprise. And they just asked everybody. And it's a small mm -hmm. enough group that they felt they, but like they took on, they took on the risk. Of somebody yeah. revealing partly because they understood that um, the the harm that could be caused to them is not that great. Um, mm -hmm. But also, it was probably just easier for them not to write an NDA and like hire a lawyer to do it. So there's probably a little bit of that practicality. But like, I really value that. So if someone asked me to keep that kind of secret, even if I wouldn't keep the secret, like, I'm always happy to, to like trust it. Like, it's their thing. It's their secret. I won't mm -hmm. tell their secret. But then when it becomes my secret, then it becomes a, a burden and a weight on me. And I don't like that very much. Sure. I wonder too, if uh, not 
you know, not simply asking and not requiring uh, the developers who are working on Playdate to sign an NDA mm -hmm. is also a, an invitation to become, you know, more like like Sarah was saying, more kind of stake co-stakeholders co yeah. in the in the success of the Playdate, and and that that dynamic was there anyway, right? If you're developing something for that console, like you do want the console to be successful, so your work will be successful and people will yeah. see it, but. It, it does kind of set a different tone for the relationship between the owner of the device, like as a, as an organization and mm. the developers, if it's just a request between peers versus a demand from your corporate sponsor. I think that distinction yeah. is important though, Ellen. I think that like there is a difference between the relationship between like play date and developers versus Nintendo and developers. Mm -hmm. Cause I think that like, I think Playdate and developers are kind of more intertwined in that way in their success. Because mm -hmm. I think, like, I mean, all all consoles live and die by the success of their games, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, just because you have a really fancy console doesn't matter if you don't have any good games to support it. Um, but all of the major players, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, have their own internal studios that can build these AAA games that people will purchase a console for. And Playdate does not have that. And so, like, they, I think that they have to have, they have to establish that form of a relationship with developers so that they feel like they have a stake in it. And because they do have a stake in it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. Playdate's success is reliant on these separate developers to make games for this console, um, where it's not the case with Nintendo. And I think that, like, Nintendo, Sony, and Microsoft, they have their own secrets. And I think that, like, the point you brought up, Sarah, that, like, they want to portray the image of what the thing they're presenting in a way that will make it exciting for players to purchase and exciting for stakeholders to see happen. Um, and if somebody releases that information before it was ready to present, then like they are, then like they lose out on that opportunity. Um, so I guess I could see it from that way. But I think also as a person, uh, like Mark was saying too, as a person who has been under NDA and I don't understand how these NDAs work, I'm under fear of breaking NDAs, so I feel like I can't talk about things when, even though I wouldn't break them, I wouldn't break the actual legal documentation, I don't know, I don't have an understanding of the actual limitations, and so I just don't talk about anything at all. Right, you play it safe, and there's less information in the world. Well, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I can, I guess, like, I think I think it's important to make a distinction between, like, Nintendo and PlayStation, or, and, and Playdate, mm -hmm. uh, because, like, I think that they do have they, the reason that they were more willing to just ask you right up front, I think, is because like they do have, they do rely on you to bring them content. Whereas Nintendo and Sony and Microsoft don't like if you break the NDA and they kick you off the console. They, I mean, they lose out on your game, but like there are plenty of other games that they could have on there. Like that's a cynical way of putting it out, but, but like <laughs> that's kind of the that's kind of the case. It's right? a matter of scale, I guess. I sort yeah. of I'm not sure I totally agree with you, but I really understand where you're coming from with it. Mm. Or like why why you would even if you didn't want to why you'd be like all right I guess I got to write up this this thing and and make everybody sign it like I could see the motivation. I mean a scale of it too is important because like all of those consoles have way more I assume have way more games than like Playdate will have mm -hmm. and so like it's more important for them to legally bind all of these developers because any one of them can leak information versus Playdate where I assume they have much less. And so there's much less risk of it getting up if they just ask. Think of it this way. The um, mm -hmm. the, a the SDK for iOS, and Apple is a yeah. famously secretive, com uh, uh, secretive company, 
the SDK right. for iOS is is available to download by anybody. It's completely mm-hmm. available, public. Mm-hmm. Um, same for Android. Same for other. Um, yeah, it's not. They're not. You know. And yet, um, uh, in the console space, it's that history of secrecy. Um, I guess yeah. it's being behind that wall and knowing how useless these secrets are is is a big part of my my anger sure. about it. Um, oh yeah, and I I don't disagree with you on that either. Frankly, yeah. I wish that the industry was much less secretive, if only to like give people a better understanding of how the industry works. Because I think part of the reason why game developers complain that uh, players are entitled is because they don't understand how things work. And so, like, mm-hmm. if like a lot of team like people will say, "Why don't you just give us online play? Just turn the switch on. You're using Unity. Port it to Switch. It's easy." You know, like they like, people don't understand. And I'm I'm mocking people, and I guess that's not right. But like, so address people your don't understand those things. What's that? Address your letters, Stephen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but like, people don't understand these things because there's secrets, and they're not as easily spread as they could be and should be. So, I think that's a really good final word, um, <laughs> Ellen. When you edit this one, edit out me saying that, and just end with Stephen's <laughs> nice punchline. I was, I think I was good. Got it. <laughs> Uh, hey, we know you love Nice Games Club and all of its fun, nice games things. Um, but do you know that your love is not as contagious as you might think? You actually have to tell people. And that's yeah. why we want you to send the podcast to a friend um, so that we, selfishly, can have many more listeners because it's a thing we like to have. Um, and But also so that you can share in your Nice Games discussions um, about uh, you know what we talked about, the latest silly thing that Ellen said, the latest insight that Stephen brought to the table. That stuff that is uh, shouldn't end here on the show. We want that out in the world, uh, uh, back and forth between your uh, conversations and your communities. And so, uh, tell a friend about the show. Uh, it also the show gets better when we have more listeners. Um, we you know we get feedback um, from you. We hear about topics we want to do. Uh, we get um, corrections and additional thoughts, and the conversation gets bigger. And uh, that is uh, because of you, our current listener, uh, but also the listeners that you bring to the table um, and to form your own little Nice Games Club uh, as an adjunct Nice Games Club. We can have little branches all over the place. Um, chapters. <laughs> so we, we've had we've had a cu- couple ideas of like how you might want to tell people that doesn't sound weird or forced, um, and we don't have a script. Um, but one idea is to have a nice games club listening party. Like, get your friends together on Discord, uh, play a game, and in the background, someone throw on an episode, uh, maybe related to the thing you're working on. I think that would be kind of fun. Then you can sort of uh, interrupt us with your own thoughts, and then eventually turn us off and have your own interesting conversation. Um, so that's a you know that's an idea. But uh, basically, I think um, everyone here will agree. Uh, we like having listeners. We think it's valuable to not just our own. You know our own personal uh, wants for the show, but for the quality of the program, right? Yeah, yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. All right, Ellen, um, I feel I've heard you say this before. So, yeah. <laughs> what? Oh, I did. That was subtle. That was subtle. Oh, that was beautiful. I love it. <laughs> I, took me a second. Yeah. Um, well, why don't great. you say it again for people so they can hear? The topic is replay value. <laughs> um. So... I think what I'd like, so I think the way that I decided that I'd like to enter this topic and kind of go about it is, um, I don't, I don't think that there's a one size fits all for designing replayability. I think there are a lot of factors and considerations that, um, we can consider, but I think yeah. to have a, a meaningful discussion about those factors and considerations, uh, with the four of us, um, I think that we first need to define what replay means, um, or at least yeah, like okay. narrow down, right. Because, um, what replay means as an experience is really different from for different styles of games. Like, mm. and I think this is a particularly great crew to have to talk about this topic because it's from the sound of it, we all kind of lean towards different game types mm -hmm. or maybe the different player styles. So like yeah. Steven, you are famous or infamous for liking fighting games. <laughs> yes. And Sarah, we did our, we did the workshop episode recording um, which will come out next week. Uh, you mentioned that you're, you know, you're a, you're a narrative driven player. Like you're into that. And I like to do a little bit of everything. Uh, and Mark, I don't know, you're kind of a little bit of everything guy too, especially if it has something to do with Star Trek. Uh -huh. I'm a little bit of every kind of Star Trek. <laughs> right. Okay. Yep. That's accurate. It's the kind of player I am. <laughs> so all those games, like what replay means is like really different. Like replaying a fighting game. Does that mean that you start a new match? Is that all that means? Like if yeah. you're replaying a racing game, do you get through all the tracks and then you start it again? Or is it just one track or is it also a match? If you replay chess, like that is only through a match. Anyway, so mm -hmm. whereas if like if you're replaying Mass Effect, 
Sarah, you've done that from what you said multiple, multiple, multiple times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't be ashamed of it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> How many times, Sarah? Oh, it's, I mean, Mass Effect 2, it's got to be like seven times to completion. That's a a pretty big game. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And the first one, I mean, oh, I, I just, it's, I'm ashamed, but also so proud. (laughs) I am only proud of you. Like, I mean, discovering every piece of dialogue and mining every single planet. Mm -hmm. At some point, I'm sitting there, it's like, you know, this is what I've achieved today. But at the same time, it's so worth it because I get to go to my codex and read all of this, like, (laughs) awesome stuff Mm -hmm. about the council and and, uh, the Asari and trying to figure out. And, oh, it's so great when you can identify like oh well this actor pronounced this thing differently and it's not because they're from different species it's because there was no um okay you say veenya this way and (laughs) that you have like a thousand characters saying one thing differently (laughs) seeing the holes in dialogue so it becomes less of a narrative thing and it becomes more of a like production thing Mm -hmm. oh yeah well here are all the mistakes. Here are all of the holes in the lore. And it's it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it's kind of weird, but I love it. <laughs> that really appeals to me as a way to just like investigate more, maybe not so uh, just for the holes, but uh, for the, you know, just the how it's put together. Because that's why, I mean, yeah. uh, Sarah, yeah. I'm sure you'll agree. That's a great reason to rewatch a movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. One billion percent. <laughs> right. So to zoom back out for a second, like, cause I yeah. think those are exactly some of the factors that, that, that make a game feel replayable. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when you restart a movie, what that means is you got to the ending scene yeah, and you fast forward and whatever you saw any post credit scenes, mm-hmm. especially if it's a Marvel movie and then you <laughs> stopped it. And then you go to the beginning again, where the time code says zero, zero, zero. That's what rewatching, like that's what replaying right. a movie is. And the emotional experience of watching the film a second time is going to be most likely very different. Mm. Even if, you know, there might be a degree of nostalgia and you still feel excitement when you get to the exciting parts and you still feel sad when you get to the sad parts, but it's, yeah. you know, what's coming. So it's going to be a little different Right. with a game. Like, might have I'm not sure how many times you have to play through Mass Effect to be able to really understand how all the branching choices fit together mm-hmm. and where yeah. the holes are. But replaying a game is basically you got to build your shepherd again. Mm-hmm. You get to the end, the last scene, you make the last choice that influences the story, and then replaying it means you start at the beginning and you're rebuilding shepherd again. That is true. I think that like the way that we in the industry like think of replay value is the. Uh, Get how to get people to keep playing a game again or more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, actually, not even necessarily again, but just more. More, like yeah. Fighting games, for instance, like you play one match I mean, and you play another match. I mean, I think most people would agree you're not really replaying the game again, but right. like you're, you're still coming back to the game because it has a replay value because there are new people you can combat against mm-hmm. or yeah. new characters you can fight against and stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, so, 
I think that's exactly, and that's exactly what I wanted to hit on with this initial part of the conversation is yeah. when we talk about replay, we're not just talking about again, we're also talking about more. And yes. we use the term replay to really refer to both of those states. Yeah, that right, right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and don't some, I mean, like DLC is kind of the easy in on that. I mean, whether yeah. it's, oh, well, I got this brand new blaster or costume or whatever, like, you know, that's sort of a, a very shallow, but still easy in on replaying something. But yeah. Um, like Mortal Kombat. I mm. mean, I haven't played any of it because it is just way too hard <laughs> for me. But <laughs> I've watched every single freaking cutscene mm-hmm. for Mortal Kombat 11, and I think they just re-released um, like a new story element. And yeah, like there's story stuff, but gameplay-wise, like it's still like you know you're still you know pressing a various uh, variety of buttons mm-hmm. you know like it isn't like oh well like in mortal Kombat deception well you're not roaming through the outworld now like yeah. you're still you know a beating player after player after player um right. sometimes with different player or different characters but gameplay wise it's still kind of the same but sometimes like just adding a little extra can be a nice way to get back in mm-hmm. it, it certainly i mean Mass Effect's stupid pinnacle station thing <laughs> certainly tricked me into replaying. <laughs> How much tricking did you need? <laughs> I didn't really need that much. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> oh, oh dear, another DLC. Oh, well, I guess I'm gonna... And while I'm at it, I'll just replay the whole yeah. game again. Uh, if I have to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> so I think what I wanted to kind of get into next, um, because there isn't a recipe, there are factors and considerations. Yeah. I kind of wanted to just, for the rest of our, our exploration of this topic, is really to just explore kind of our personal, you know, individual personal examples of games that we like to replay and games yeah. that we didn't, just so we can kind of identify and bring to the surface some patterns uh, some of these factors and considerations um, and then kind of just sum that up at the end. So the n- first question that I'm going to pose to each of you is um, what is a game? <laughs> Sarah, you're going to have to come up with another example, but we'll, <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll, we'll give you a, a second to think about it. So you don't have to go first on this one, but what is a game you have replayed a lot and why? So I'll go first just to give you guys a chance to think. And I will go with um, uh, Super Metroid, which I actually mentioned, I think, in a couple of recent of our, our roundtables. But I have played that game a lot. I don't remember how many times. It's the same game every time. Like, I know where all the puzzles are. I, I know where a lot of the secrets are at this point. Why do I keep replaying it? I think initially I liked exploring the world again and, like, rediscovering some of those puzzles. And now, as I when I replay Super Metroid, it's because I'm getting like with every playthrough, I'm getting more skilled at moving through the world quickly. And when I have that moment where I walk by a tile and I think, oh, I believe if I remember correctly, there's a there's a secret there, and then I like shoot my laser at the ground, and there totally is that <laughs> feeling of being right. Yeah, like it's. When I initially played like my first and second playthrough, I was playing because I love that sense of discovery. Um, now I'm playing because I love feeling awesome. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Good reason. Pretty good. Um, I got one. Steven, you got one? Uh, All right, I'll, I'll, go ahead. <laughs> I, I want to give you some time. Because <laughs> we, <laughs> okay. we're never good when we prompt <laughs> each other for, for examples. <laughs> but I have one. 
uh, which is um, uh, I don't I don't replay games a lot, actually. Um, and part of it is because I, I rewatch films and TV a lot that I love. I'm really into mm-hmm. rewatching things I've already seen because there is more to discover. And I, you know, spoilers are not like I don't worry about already knowing what's going to happen. It's just as dramatic. But for mm-hmm. video games, this is maybe a, a condemnation of the fact that most video game stories are not good. Like even the best mm-hmm. ones, and like I feel pretty <gasps> comfortable saying that. Like, in like the stories, the overall story, like has a is clever, interesting. The plot, the ends are great, but as a narrative experience, I don't find a lot to want to go back to, even in a a, a narrative game I really love. Like Batman: mm-hmm. Arkham City is one where I did replay it, and I every time it got to a point in the plot that I'd forgotten about, I I didn't think. Oh, I forgot about this. It was, oh, this, I forgot about this. This seems important. And so it tells me, even though I love that game, that the narrative didn't hook me in the same way that, and it, I guess it just, I don't want, I don't want that feeling of realizing that's, that I didn't love the story because I remember loving the game. So that's maybe just in protecting myself a little bit. But the games I do go back to are games like Super Mario Brothers 3, which I will pick, I'll just pick up randomly. And part of that is because, uh, Ellen, you put it exactly great, which is, I think there's a laser there. Oh, right, there is. Like, I have that exact <laughs> same feeling where it's like, yeah. uh, the challenge is there because um, it's not a game where if you know how to beat it, it's beatable. Knowing how to beat it is only half the beating it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, I appreciate games that um, can give me uh, uh, that same gameplay experience, even though I already know how to beat it. Um, with a, without any of the fumbling around that was valuable the first time, but I don't need any more. Yeah. Right. So I, I look for games like that. And I mean, part of it too is Summer Road 3 came out at a time in my life. And so I've had it in my life mm-hmm. for a long, long time. That's probably true for a lot of people. They have ones from childhood that they go back to, but that's the one for me. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, I had mine is actually easy. I was just going to say Skyrim. Oh, yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, regular yeah. listeners will know. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I have. I have definitely declined on my playing of Skyrim as of late because, like, I've replayed. I've never actually beaten that game, but like, I've replayed it several times, <laughs> um, dozens of times. And like, it the the reason why I keep going back to it is because I can mod it and make it a completely different game. That's kind of <laughs> which is kind of cheating, but like, also, eh, that's kind of the point of it. I guess like you can get there's so much content that you can get from it that like I just keep yeah more yeah. content and then trying it again. So is it really replaying or is it just diving back in? Oh, that's a good question. I like guess Ellen I- really set it up that like there are just so many things we put in this category. Yeah. Right. It's playing more, I think. You know, right? Yeah. It's I'm we talked about more of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a good way of describing it. Yeah. I'm not technically replaying because like I said, I've never beaten the game. But like I can't believe I played that game. We should, we should record you doing that. <laughs> no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> um but like um yeah, I I, I, I have played it more. Because like I can mod it and get more content, and so I can play more new things. Mm. All right, Sarah, you're on the hook now. Oh boy, <laughs> um, I have sort of the opposite thing mm. of Mark, where I kind of play the same games over and over again. I, you know, I'm outing myself as someone who just does not really play that many games um, at all. I mostly just watch movies constantly Um, so (laughs) so much time games are kind of my like break from movies and i just ultimately play the same ones over and over again but um i absolutely love replaying um uh, resident evil 4 
Hmm. Like I know that game front, back, left, right, um, but it still is slightly thrilling. I know it sort of marks the the point in Resident Evil where it became more actiony and not as scary. But man, it brings me back to when I played it in high school and I fought the Iron Maiden for the first time, or the the guy with the chainsaw, and how like spooky and creepy it was and atmospheric and i love the gamecube i love the controller there's never been a better controller and so for me it's almost like a a tactile relaxing experience to replay resident evil 4 Mm -hmm. so yeah like i'm playing it not because i need to find something new or um, experience something different it's because i know exactly what i'm gonna get and what i get is something that's really helpful for me it's almost like a self-care thing mm-hmm. yeah. you, you, mm-hmm. you're yeah. playing it because it's familiar and like you know yeah. what's going to happen yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like sense. i know exactly how i'm gonna feel mm-hmm. um and i don't play it all the time like i maybe replay it once a year between mass effect replays no of course <laughs> well yeah that's yeah. that's the problem <laughs> well I mean, pivoting away from Mass Effect 2, which is definitely the game I've played the most. Um, I've played the first, I don't know, a couple hours of Mass Effect 3 over and over and over again. And I just, there's one specific thing that just makes me put down the controller and stop playing every single time. Mm. And it's whoever rigged the models for the characters, the necks, like that there are some moments where I'm standing behind Liara and she turns her head all the way around. It's the exorcist and I can't unsee it. And every time a character is standing next to me, the head turns way too far. And it's just, it's such a petty thing, but I can't get past it. It's so creepy. It doesn't sound petty for someone who works in animation. Like yeah. you're going to notice yeah. those things. It's going to bother you. But I'm glad yeah. that you mentioned that because the next question I had for all of us um, is what's a game that you have finished, but never replayed. I, I feel like I have the approach that Mark had in that. Like I tend to games. I don't like a lot of narrative in most games, but games that I have liked the narrative of, I have not revisited hmm. um, because like I get that. I think that I think that Mark is kind of right that the journey is generally not worth it, but the end part of it is. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like a lot of the games that I enjoyed the narrative of have good endings, but mm-hmm. and the reason you got to that ending is because like you played through the game, but like actually playing through the game is like kind of a chore. A lot of mm-hmm. those, for those games, I think. Yeah, um, and, and so, I mean, like the, it could have been good the first time, but the yeah. when you think about replaying it, you're not thinking about watching the story again you're thinking yeah, about playing them, playing the mechanics again and you're like i had enough of right. that. yeah yeah you're, you're, you're thinking about playing the mechanics again so you can get to the ending and mm-hmm. you already had that moment um so yeah i guess those are kind of those are the kinds of games i tend to not replay yeah 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 i'm, I'm the same way there's just way too many to to come up with like a particular <laughs> example because that's my yeah. that's my normal mode and i do feel mm-hmm. weird about that because like, uh, you know, I, like, I feel like I have a pretty strong basis for why that's the case, but I also feel like I should probably pick up some of my favorites again. Like, you know, like Paper Mario Thousand Year Door is, is one of my favorite games, and I have yeah. only played it once. And that's one where I would love to replay those mechanics again. And yeah. every silly scene I would love to see again. I just haven't because it's not my habit. 
So like as mm-hmm. much as I have a justification, I think as much of it is my habit as me yeah. like actually having an opinion about it. Right. And sure, maybe yeah. maybe I'm, I'm contorting my view to fit what is just comfortable for me, you know? Mm hmm. Um, I, yeah, I also typically don't replay games. Um, there are a few exceptions. I mentioned Super Metroid. Um, and I also play Night in the Woods often, but Mm -hmm. the one I was going to bring up for the example of one I have finished and loved, but did not replay was Breath of the Wild. Ah, I keep coming back to it in my head. Like, maybe I should get back. There's like a lot of DLC. There's a lot of stuff that happened in that game. And I loved riding around my pony. Um, but I just can't bring myself to do it. And I think the the reason is, is because I can't decide whether just to pick up where I left off, which is right before I, you know, I beat the boss and everything, but I had played a lot right prior to that or start over. And when I, th- I think about like starting over and being able to rediscover all the shrines and all the little puzzles and everything like that. It makes me really excited. On the other hand, it's such a big game. It yeah. also feels kind of overwhelming. And I think that that feeling of having to start something over again, that is that big is one of the blockers for me in restarting, yeah. re- replaying that game. Like mechanical started, depth or something might be. A yeah. Because like Mario Odyssey, it, it, which is often compared to Breath of the Wild, is similarly enormous, but it's a very mm-hmm. simple game. Uh, right. I, I could totally see going back to that the way I've played Mario 64 more than once, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe I'll kind of cheat this prompt a bit and i'll say (laughs) it's allowed pokemon oh yeah but um so i am one of those insufferable gen waters where (laughs) i i grew up playing red and blue and yellow love them they're my favorite entries well no um they're a close second to gold and silver which i love and I caught all 151 in blue and red, put it down, um, got as far as I could in gold and silver, maybe approached it every now and then, put it down. Ruby and Sapphire played those, put it down, and now I'm done with Pokemon. Mm. And I <laughs> like, so, because I'm kind of, I know that if I were to pick up another Pokemon game, I probably enjoy it for the same reasons that I've enjoyed generations one, two, and three, Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of like, you know, I'm kind of done, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm done catching and collecting and um, yeah, it's cool to see the 3d models and all of the animations and the considerably better um, production values. But um, it's just, way too much Mm. and i'm happy i'm happy with my experience with pokemon um i'm happy that people continue to have their experiences with pokemon but for me i'm just like you know i'm done Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) no more and i guess that you could i could say that about the previous generations too like i just have no desire to pick them up Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. Um, that's put really well like i mean i'm a pokemon master i caught (laughs) <laughs> the original run. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've achieved self-actualization. <laughs> I I'm good, but yeah, Pokémon is just one of those things where until they really like the Gigantamax and Gigamax stuff just really wasn't enough to bring me back in mm. and um 
I just need it to be a different game. <laughs> this just um, feels like the beginning of a sports movie where like there's like the young upstart Pokemon you know, trainer who needs to go get mentorship. And then there's the Pokemon master of legend who like let the game go and won't pick it up again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So maybe this one yeah. last time. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Maybe this is like a bit of a cheat on like the initial question, but I do feel like one problem Pokemon has had is it's like, well, how do we keep it fresh and how do we keep it new? And for me, it just, it, it remains kind of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Which is yeah. one of its, charms for some people mm-hmm. yeah absolutely well it's the same thing with resident evil 4 you know what you're getting mm-hmm. yeah and it's cool to see like new creatures and new gym leaders and um all that stuff but yeah for me it's just not enough to have me replay it and revisit it i caught the first <laughs> bunch <laughs> i'm good yeah, yeah. <laughs> my childhood was well spent i was gonna say it sounds like the trend honestly is like part of it is um, the content that you received from the game, in y- y- you you know, we're just not interested in that anymore. Once you get it once, you don't need it anymore. Or once you've get gotten it a few times, you don't need it anymore. And then part of it is also like, if there's too much content, it feels too daunting to go back into it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because I guess you as like mm-hmm. as a fighting game person, yeah. maybe you can speak to that better, or maybe articulate it better than I ever could, because. One thing with fighting games is it's a tried and true kind of setup. Yeah. I, you know, the uh, sort of profile brawler. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they've added like with 3D and stuff like more um, goodies, so to speak. Yeah. And like Mortal Kombat is certainly um, changed in some ways and not changed in others. Mm. But um I guess maybe fighting games have that challenge as well. Like how do we keep this kind of classic arcade staple fresh and fun for console? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. Like, I think that like the different sequels, but for all of the, for a lot of the games generally don't change a ton. Like if you're not really into the games, you're not going to be able to tell the differences Mm -hmm. between street fighter four and street fighter five. But like, um, Part of the reason why people come back to a fighting game like Street Fighter is, well, the new one has, has they have new characters. So, like, you know, there's more content. We already talked about that. I think that's important for replayability. But also um, the 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 ability, the, the ability for the game developers to improve the content that is already there and make, like, some characters better or characters that frustrated you worse. And so, like, that will... Then you like if like you're playing the game in in Mortal Kombat, I guess you're playing the game and Sonya Blade is just the the most annoying character. You can't you can't possibly stand her, I guess. Um, and then they nerf her. You're like, oh well, maybe I can come back to this game and I can beat her as Jax or whoever. That like it feels like that's more of a possibility now for people. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think a lot of it is mainly just the new content. But the draw for me when I'm coming back to playing a fighting game is like I want to get better at this game and improve. And it's mm-hmm. hard to like really understand how you're improving but like you know winning more winning feels good so like that actually i think that's probably a lot of the draw (laughs) yeah (laughs) i take it all back i want to win but i hey winning is wonderful (laughs) it goes back to what ellen opened with which is that replayability as a explicit mechanic 
Mm, right. Yeah. And and, and uh, even think about Pokemon or Street Fighters or games that release new versions that are very similar. Part of it mm-hmm. is that they are using that feeling that Sarah gets when she plays Mass Effect for the seventh time. And mm-hmm. they're trying to turn that into a feeling you get from a sequel. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it is all connected in the way like how you how you feel when you play these things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think to kind of summarize some of what we've been talking about. Um, yeah, there isn't a recipe, but I think the fundamental things that you need to drive towards if you, you know, to make your game replayable, because I think sometimes people make games that they are not thinking about that, like mm-hmm. inside comes to mind. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to play that game again. I don't right, really right. see what it would give me. Um, you got to leave something on the table. And some of the, the strong themes that I've heard uh, float to the surface of this conversation are um, there's that kind of feeling of newness and discovery that can come from exploration in order to do that, then you need to structure a game that people can beat and win without exploring the entire world. So Breath of the Wild, I guess, does that. Um, I personally explored like the whole world first time I beat it. So there's not much for me to go back to. Um, <laughs> like at Super Mario, like Mario games in general, there's just a ton of stuff like tucked yeah. everywhere. You can go back and, and discover it. And then there's like this mastery component, you know, the fighting games you were describing, uh, Steven, I think that's one thing. And Sarah, like you were talking about your experience playing Resident Evil 4, like there's that sense of familiarity, but then like you, you, you respond quicker to the thing that's jumping out at you. And so you're better at beating it. So I think mastery is another one. And then, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wonder this maybe deserves a round two at some point in the future when we can look at our, look at games, with maybe this particular lens in mind, but yeah, I feel like a lot of them, a lot of the games that feel really replayable to me, the factors that make them replayable are related to those two things. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's pretty solid foundation for like if mm-hmm. you wanted to make your game replayable is to have some form of mastery component to it and to have some form of exploration or discovery aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't necessarily mean exploration in terms of like the area of the game. Yeah. It could be exploring different builds. It could be exploring mm-hmm. different yep. char- heroes. Um, yep. You know that. Yeah, those are that's those are that's a good yeah that's a good summary of that. Yeah, I think that puts a bow yeah. on it. Well, and there's also you know like the comfort in knowing what you're mm. getting. You know, like why yeah. do um, why do we rewatch Frasier or Seinfeld or whatever? Like we know exactly what the jokes are, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes revisiting the thing that made us laugh or cry or scared can be, I don't know, kind of empowering and rewarding. Yeah. Reassuring perhaps. Yeah. 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 Maybe sometimes it might take the form of nostalgia, but yeah, there is mm-hmm. kind of that third like familiarity might be another one that you can drive another another consideration you can think about to build replayability into your game mm-hmm. more planets to mine that's what these <laughs> games need God, i love that mini game so much yeah <laughs> shoot those more, probes more planets to drive the mako on that is what yes, yes i like the mako too <laughs> i love the mako i loved the mako i it we're the only three. <laughs> I, I also loved it. Oh, it's hey, all of us. Four for four here. Mako Games Club. <laughs> <laughs> it's rare that you're able to drive a vehicle that can drive straight upward. Like, it is <laughs> yes. This is the future. <sighs> oh. Good stuff, beautiful stuff.
All right, that's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for more show notes and links to resources on today's topics. If you like this episode, give us a review on your favorite podcast app and tell all your friends. Independent podcasts like ours rely on word of mouth to grow. We love hearing from our listeners. For a quick way to give us feedback on the show, head over to nicegames.club feedback and fill out a short little form. You can also get in contact with your nice hosts on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and Morris, a cat of our times. Or you can email us through contact at NiceGames.Club. Ask us questions, suggest topics, or just say hello. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. That's great post-show content, right, Ellen? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.